I want to ask you a question. Have you ever fallen in front of people? Yes. <laughs> Wait, you didn't even let me finish. Have you ever fallen in front of people and they saw you and they laughed at you and you were embarrassed? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right. How embarrassing is it when you fall and trip? And, and the first thing we do many times is to look around and see if anybody saw us, right? We just kind of trip and, oh, hey, how you doing? We play it off. I fell one time pretty hard. And uh, I was over at a friend's house. We're having dinner. And he has this, this, this race bike. It's like a Honda 250. It's the kind of motorcycles they use in the X Games. So it's super strong, super fast, a two-stroke, I think is what it's called. And, and uh, so he shows me the bike, goes up and down the street afterwards. He's like, hey, Sean, you want to you get on it? I'm like, man, I've never ridden a bike in my life. He said, no, no, you catch on really fast. Uh, I'll show you where, where the gears are and where the clutch is and the gas. So I jumped on. He talked me into it, ladies and gentlemen. I did not know how much torque these things have. This is the kind of bike that you see those crazy guys jumping off jumps on the TV. They're riding, and then they jump, and they like grab the back of the seat and then pull the bike back. It's that bike. Your pastor on that bike. Are you picturing this? I didn't know how much torque actually came when, when you let go of, of the clutch. And as soon as I let go, that thing popped a wheelie, and I'm... I, I, Slow motion. This is what was going through my head. I just bought this by. I mean, <laughs> popped the wheelie and I'm out of control. And I just knew I was crashing. And when you crash something, it's only right that you buy it. Okay, so I knew, I knew I'm walking home with a bike today that I didn't want. Well, thank God I didn't crash it. I somehow landed and he's laughing and, and I turn around and for the next 10 minutes go up and down the street with wheelies. It was, it was amazing. And then the very next day, he said, let's go to the racetrack. Because that is the obvious next step after I've been seasoned 10 minutes on a motorcycle to go to a racetrack the very next day. So we go to the racetrack, and all day long, I didn't fall. It was a great day. And the last run of the day, I said, we should probably stop while we're ahead. We look at each other and say, one more round. I would grow to hate that phrase that I mentioned because we go on the track that they had just watered. So our tires are caked now with mud. I hit a jump, and as I hit a jump, I land it. I almost fall, but I land it. And then I go up to turn around. Like, it wasn't even a dangerous part of the track. It wasn't even a cool area. Like, it was just a place people go to turn around. Well, as I go up, the bike starts sliding down, and I fall. It wasn't even a cool fall. It was a super slow, like, out of control, uncoordinated fall. And then I hit something on, on my hip. I landed on a rock, and the bike landed on me. And the pain that came through my hip, was it hurt so bad, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't think about anything else. Bikes are passing by me. I didn't even care. I was in so much pain. I felt like screaming, help! I've fallen, and I can't get out. Have you ever felt that before, that pain, the agony of falling? Maybe not physically, but in life. You'd agree with this statement, write this down, that sometimes life feels overwhelming. Sometimes life feels overwhelming. And our theme verse for this series has been Psalm chapter 69, where David is writing, and he says in Psalm 69 verse 1, Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Picture this. He says, deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I'm deep in water, and the floods 
overwhelm me. I'm exhausted for crying for, say it out loud, everybody. Help. He said, the waters are so high. Trouble is so high. Life is so high like this. I, I can't even find my foothold. The waters are up to my neck. I wonder if there's anybody here who knows what it feels like to feel like you're sinking because of the pressures of life. I wonder if there's anybody here that recognizes this in your past, or maybe it's where your current state is, where you feel like the floodwaters are up to your neck and the pressure comes, and you were, you were doing pretty good, and then something happened. You were doing pretty good, and then you made a bad decision. And ever since that moment, you feel like you've fallen, and you can't seem to get up. You can't seem to break the cycle. You can't seem to get past the pain. You can't seem to, 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 to get out of where you are and move on to where God wants you to be. You haven't been able to recover and you feel, write this down, you feel lost. You feel lost. It's a great depiction, a great word to describe where we feel when we fall, when we fail. Because we feel like we don't know where we're going. And can I just say, it is a horrible feeling to feel lost. I don't even know what we did before GPSs and smartphones. Like, I, I don't even know how we found anything in life. How many remember this? Like, you'd be driving down the road and there was no GPS, there's no smartphone. You had to get a big old map out like this. Come on, anybody from the 1900s? And you'd be sitting there and you'd have to pull over. You'd have to pull over for about 15 minutes just to find out where you are. And as you're, as you're sitting there trying to figure this out, you're putting the map this way. And then you begin the argument with other people in the car, didn't you? You should have made a right back of the light, Jimmy. I know! Leave me alone. I'm just trying to figure out where we are. The map's upside down. I, we... This is what we lived with, ladies and gentlemen. We would, we would sit there trying to locate where we are. And a lot of us have spent so much time doing this, we don't, we didn't, I didn't even know how to read a map. And then we get so frustrated that we ask strangers for directions. Random strangers. You just pull up to people and start driving at the pace that they're walking. That's creepy. And then you, and they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to decide whether they should run or are you, trying, are you want directions or are you kidnapping me? I'm, I'm not sure. So they kind of look at you and you're like, hi, hi. Um, we're lost. Which now you've just made yourself vulnerable in a strange location that you don't know where you are and they could take advantage of you as well. I mean, it's a, it's a very awkward conversation. And then they give you directions and you have a, you have a decision to make. Do you trust their directions? Like, do you, Based on the confidence level that they presented the directions, you make your assessment whether you're going to believe them or not. How many know what I'm saying? I had this rule. I had this rule where it didn't matter who it was. If they came to me and they took too long, like pa they paused too long, or they looked up at the sky, I just drove away. I just was like, you don't know where you're going. <laughs> so frustrating to try and ask for directions. I don't like being lost, but it felt like we spent, we spent so much time being lost. We would have to like leave in, in enough time to budget time inside of our time just in case we got lost when we're going to a new location. You millennials don't know none about this. You just speak into your smartphone, Siri, get directions to Krispy Kreme. And in two seconds, you have turn-by-turn -turn directions. We didn't have that, ladies and gentlemen. We had something called MapQuest. That was after the big maps. We felt like we were really cutting edge. MapQuest came out, and you had to get all the directions before you left the house. Come on, does anybody remember that? Come on, we're going to be late. Hold on, it's still printing. It's still printing. <laughs> then the printer was always low on ink. 
you had to like guess some of the turns because it was faded out. Was that a right on shenanigans or a right on Michigan? I don't know, look for both. I was with my mom one time in San Francisco and we would drive over there often and just explore. And I remember seeing the same, same building several times. And as a child, I said, mom, are, are we lost? And she said, no, nope, I just don't know where I am. <laughs> Being lost is a horrible feeling. It's a horrible feeling. The definition is this. It's unable to find one's way, not knowing one's whereabouts. Let me, let me make it a little bit more practical. It's where you don't know which way to go and you don't know where to start because you don't know where you are because you're lost. Every one of us knows what it feels like to make a wrong turn and feel and wind up lost. Have you ever been driving down the road before? You make one wrong turn and you wind up in an area you really know you do not belong. Maybe that's how we feel in life, that you were going on in life and everything was great until you made one wrong turn. Everything was good until you made one bad decision. You were doing fine until you started dating that one person, running with that one group of guys, that one group of girls. You made the wrong decision, you, you stopped coming to church, and all of a sudden, it's amazing how one wrong turn, you can find yourself in a completely different neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One wrong move, one wrong turn, and, and then we start asking for directions from the wrong places. Like you're in the wrong neighborhood, and you're asking people on Facebook, you made a wrong decision, and you're asking advice from people on Facebook. <laughs> hey guys, what do you think? And you have everybody, everybody and their mama telling you what to do. It's not godly advice, it's worldly advice, but you're taking it. And, and I had a friend one time, I told you this uh, several months ago, but I had a friend, we were in Berkeley, and um, we were just hanging out, and this car pulls up, asks for directions. Well, my friend gives directions. Like, yeah, you just go straight down here, make a right, and then you make, see the, and you make a left. And the car pulls off, and I, I look at him, I'm like, bro. How'd you know where that was? You're not from Berkeley? And he says, I don't know. I just made it up. <laughs> I said, bro, that was messed up. They're going to be so confused. The truth is, there's a lot of us. You've been trying to get the right directions from the wrong place. And now you feel lost. Not only do you feel lost, write this down, you feel empty. You feel empty. This is a horrible feeling. What's crazy is that when, when, we, when we look at the world, we look at everything and it promises such fulfillment. It promises such satisfaction. And what you find very quickly is that nothing in the world can permanently satisfy. And what you thought would deliver the ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment has left you empty. And now we're frustrated because we're looking at other people who look full and we're envious because we know how empty we are on the inside. The only thing worse than being lost is being lost and on empty. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody in the room today. To know what it feels like to be lost and out of gas. To be, to be lost and out of motivation. To be lost and unfulfilled. And you learn very quickly that nothing in the world can permanently satisfy. And that's why we feel lost. I have four daughters and we love Christmas. I love it with all my heart. It's the best time of the year. I asked my daughters... A couple weeks ago, I said, do you girls have your Christmas list yet? To which Victoria says, I don't know what I want this year. And I said, oh, just jokingly, I said, oh, 
you're so content because of everything you got last year, you don't need anything else? And she said very quickly, she said, no, Dad, it's just like you say, nothing in this world can permanently satisfy, so I need more presents. <laughs> That's a smart, quick kid. Nothing really can satisfy, ultimately, permanently. And we can, we can acquire stuff till our heart we think was content, like everything on your bucket list, everything on your you can acquire all of that Here's the problem. It won't permanently satisfy. Here's what I've found. Sin doesn't work. Doesn't work. Matter of fact, we're banking on the fact as a church, sin doesn't work. You can go try sin all you want. It's going to leave you empty. It's going to leave you lost and alone, and you're going to be broken. I'm saying instead of stepping out there and experiencing all of the mess of sin, why don't we just make a commitment to follow Jesus and avoid that crash? Can I hear an amen, somebody? Problem is, we end up feeling lost, empty, and then write this third one down. We feel powerless. We feel powerless. This is a horrible feeling. To feel powerless, to feel like there's no way out, like there's no hope of change. You thought you can gain control by taking control and fixing it. Here's what you found by taking control, you lost control. And now it feels useless, it feels pointless. It feels like you don't care anymore, and you begin to grow numb. It's, it's kind of like me on the bicycle, the, the motorcycle. As I crashed, I was in so much pain, I didn't care that the other bikes were passing me inches away from my head. I was in so much pain, I couldn't care. There's some of you here today that you've fallen and you can't get up. You made a bad decision and you feel lost. You feel empty. Now you feel powerless, and, and you feel like, man, there's no way out, and you're now starting to grow numb which is dangerous. You're starting to grow numb and you don't care. Bills are piling up, but you don't care. Your spouse is threatening to leave you, but you don't care. You are failing school, but you don't care because now you feel lost, you feel empty, you feel numb, you made a bad decision, and you're starting to believe the lie of the devil that says there's no way you can ever make a comeback. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it's a dangerous place to be. It's where David is. David in the Bible Psalm 69, he's crying out to God. Can you hear him? In the desert, he's crying out, help! I'm trying to be tough, but I'm sinking. I'm trying to be strong, but I'm sinking. I'm trying to act like I have it all together, but I'm sinking. I'm trying to keep the mask on, but I'm confused. I don't even know what's going on in my own life, and you end up feeling like you can't fix it anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, you're right. You and I can't fix it, but I know the one who can. His name is Jesus Christ. Come on, is there anybody that's grateful that our God specializes in fixing what is broken? Write this down in your, in your notes, everybody. It's time for your comeback. Yeah. It's time for your comeback. That's good. Take a look at this. Such a feeling's coming over me. There is wonder everything I see not a cloud in the sky got the sun in my eyes and I won't be surprised if it's a dream I'm on the top of the world this is the end beautiful friend this is the end my only 
That's great, isn't it? Listen, I'm here to tell you what, what was sent to destroy you is actually only going to make you stronger. And I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you may feel like you fail. You may feel like there's, you fell into the trap. You made a wrong decision. You ate the cheese. But I'm here to tell you, God is greater than any failure you've ever experienced in your life. Jesus Christ died to free you from that. And who the sun sets free is free indeed. He who is in you is greater than he that's within the world. Come on, is there anybody in the room that believes that today? It's time for your comeback. Proverbs says this, that the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. Turn and tell somebody it's time to get up. Get Come on, look him straight in the eye and tell him it's time to get up. Have you ever had a hard time waking somebody up and you kind of had to shake them? Like, wake up, wake up, wake up. Some of your kids today, your kids to you today. I'm here to tell you this message is the shake up. We're shaking you a little bit today and saying, listen, it's time to get up. You've, you've been down long enough. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. We want to shake you and say God's grace is still sufficient. His peace is still here. He can still restore you. Come on, does anybody believe that today? Let this message be the wake up that you've been waiting for. It's time to get up. Jesus had 12 disciples, 12 interns, if you will, and one of them was Peter. Peter was a guy, hothead mess. He was always talking first, and he, he told Jesus, I'll die for you. It's right or die for you, Jesus. And then he failed and denied that he even knew Jesus. After Jesus told him, you're going to deny me tonight by this time, 6 a.m., three times. And Peter's like, "Uh uh-uh, not me. Everybody else might, but not me, Jesus. Well, he did. He failed God. He'd fallen, and he didn't know what to do. He's trailing Jesus from a distance, making making eyes at Jesus, but not really sure if he could come back to Jesus, felt like the biggest failure. And before the failure, we have a conversation that took place between Jesus and Peter. It's very intimate, and I want you to understand, but before we read this, write this down, because you need to know this in advance, that the devil wants to ruin your faith in Jesus Christ. He's on a mission to try and ruin your faith. John 10.10 is extremely explicit. The devil, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy that's his mission. That's his, app. That's, that's his job description. And Jesus looks at Peter, and in Luke 22, verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, this is Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. The word you in the Greek is plural, so it's like Jesus is saying, the devil's begging me for you guys. He wants to destroy your life. Peter, from experience, would say, be on alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan wanted to crush Peter. He wanted to crush him like wheat, God said. He said he wanted to destroy his life, his faith, his destiny. Can I tell you, you have a real enemy and he wants to do the same thing to you. 
And don't be intimidated because it's not like there are two big forces in heaven, God and the devil. And God and the devil are fighting. It's, it's almost a tie. No, God is in a class all by himself. If God before you, who could be against you? You need to know this, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, there is a trap. Yes, there is there's some cheese on a trap somewhere. And yes, we can make wrong decisions. But you need to know that, write this down, don't worry, because Jesus is praying for you. Jesus Christ is praying for you. And let, let me show you this. He goes on to say, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. I'm praying for you, Peter. You're going to blow it. But don't worry. I got your back. I'm still praying for you. And have you ever had somebody say that they're praying for you and you weren't sure if they were? Hey, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm not, I'm not banking on that. When Jesus says he's praying for you, he's praying for you. Hebrews 7 says that he actually lives to make intercession for you. He's praying for you. And Peter would fail. He would fall. And his faith would falter, but it wouldn't destroy him. That's what I'm here to tell you, that Peter failed. He blew it big time, but it didn't destroy him. His temporary weakness and setback was followed by repentance and God's forgiveness. And Peter would go on to be one of the greatest leaders of the early church. And if God can do that for them, he can do that for you. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Anytime you start to feel like you can't make a comeback, you just need to go through Scripture and remind yourself of who God used. Let me read you a few. Noah was a drunk, and God used him. Abraham was too old, and God came, he came made a comeback, and God used him. Isaac was a liar. Jacob was a schemer. Joseph was abused. Moses had a, a speech problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Timothy was too young. David committed adultery and murder. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. That's gross. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was bitter, and she was a widow. Job was bankrupt. John ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while Jesus was praying. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. Martha was worried about everything. The Samaritan woman had been divorced five times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was a Christian killer. Timothy had stomach ulcers, and Lazarus was dead. Come on. What's your excuse? What's your comeback going to look like? Can you see it? Can you see? You're down now, but can you just imagine with me with eyes of faith? What is your comeback going to look like when you step back on the field? financially, relationally, morally, what will that look like as you step into all that God has for you? I'm here to tell you it's going to be absolutely amazing. So put God first, honor him, do what he says to do, and you watch as he rewards you diligently. I wish I had a few people that believe what I'm preaching here today. I know we think to ourselves, if I just sit here quiet, nobody will know he's talking about me. I'm here to tell you every single one of us has the same testimony. We are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. If it had not been for him, I don't know where we'd be. When we've fallen and we can't get up, we come back to him. We say, God, here I am. What's holding you? Let me give you a couple steps. Number one, we need to surrender. I mean, totally surrender. I don't mean like, God, you can have the living room and the kitchen, but don't touch my bedroom. I mean like everything, God. Willingly surrender. Not fighting for it. Have you ever had like a child, you say, give me the toy, and they're like, mm. Get handed over. It's not yours, Jimmy. Mm. You give it, mm. If you knew what God wanted to replace in your life, you would gladly give him everything. What is it? That you are holding on to. What toxic, pointless 
thing are you holding on to that you are willing to forfeit the destiny that God has for your life and his plan? Why don't we willingly say, God, I give up totally to you. That's why even we lift our hands in worship. It's a sign of surrender. If you're new to church, you're like, why are they lifting hands? Well, it's not weird at a concert. It's not weird at a football game. Why is it weird here? We actually are saying, God, to the almighty God, the creator of the universe, Lord, here we are. Take my life today. I honor you with my life. Willingly lay it down before you. Because I know you will gladly give us everything for our enjoyment. Proverbs, or Psalm 32, verse 2 says it this way. Blessed is the one who is, whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Listen to what David said. The alternative was, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. When we refuse to repent, we refuse to turn to God, oh, it just kills us on the inside. David was like, I was dying on the inside when I didn't talk to you, God. When I didn't tell you my sin, it was killing me. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped like the heat of summer. Watch this. Then I acknowledged my sin. How many know God's not surprised by your sin? It's not like when you tell him, hey, God, I lied at work. It's not like he goes, oh, I didn't know that. He knew before it ever came out of your mouth. He says, but when I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity, I said, I will confess my sin, my transgressions to the Lord. Watch this, watch this, watch this. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Look at me, everybody. It's time to get up. If you knew there's a deal like that on the table, it'd be one thing if we weren't sure if God would forgive. I could understand then approaching him with, a, with apprehensiveness, wondering, is he, can he? Does he have the ability to? It's so clear in the Bible. You come to Jesus, 1 John 1, 9. If you repent, he's faithful and just. He'll cleanse you and forgive you. What are we waiting for? Let's willingly surrender. Revelation 2, 5 puts it this way. Consider how far you have fallen. Think about it. Then repent. Do the things you did at first. Repent just means you turn around. You were going your way. Turn to God. If you don't repent, God says, I'll come and take the lampstand. I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, there is something to be said about biblical repentance. Where it's not we say just, I'm sorry, but I'm turning away from that and I'm walking to God. Where we don't have to raise our hand every Sunday, but we say, God, I've received your forgiveness and now I'm going to walk in that. You freed me to serve you. Before I couldn't, but now you took the chains off. Now I can follow you, Lord. I'm surrendering this all to you. If you've ever blown it before, if you've ever messed up, read Psalm 51. Because David, after he committed adultery and then murdered the wife, the husband of, the, of that wife to cover it up, he repented. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my sin, my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, and you only have I sinned. He's, 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 he's uncovering it. He's just saying, this is me, God. Here I am. No makeup on. No suit on. I've sinned against you. It's not I made a mistake. I sinned. I blew it, God. And I've done what's evil in your sight. 
Then he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy of gladness. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Please don't cast your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to, to, to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. That's what we're praying for. Lord, I want to willingly surrender. Sustain me, God. This is what we need. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt. You who are my God and my Savior, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Verse 17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. O God, you will not turn away. It's humility. It's true repentance. God, I'm lost. I'm empty. I feel powerless. I need you. I'm coming back to you. I willingly surrender. And then number two, write this down. You need to just be restored. Yeah. Like, what do I do? Just be restored. How? Be restored. What does that mean? It means you accept the love of God. You accept the grace of God. A lot of people talk about forgiving yourself. You don't have the power to forgive yourself. Only God can forgive you. We need God's forgiveness. And when he forgives, he forgives completely. When he forgives, he completes, he, he, he forgives entirely to the uttermost. And he restores you. Restoring means you restore the person back to the original place of honor. It's not like, well, you messed up. We're going to forgive you this time, but I'm never going to forget it. God says what, what he forgives, he forgets. He has this ability to forget. I wonder, is there anybody that's grateful God has forgotten yesterday? Not just because, but after we come to him in true repentance and Jesus cleanses us. 30 years later, 30 years later, Peter would write from personal experience after failing Jesus miserably, 1 Peter 5.10. I can see him writing this with tears, recalling the moment that he forsook the Lord. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast how does he know because he was there how can he speak to this because it happened to him the grace of God he's like guys listen after you've suffered a little while and by the way you've suffered long enough you don't have to pay for your sin Jesus already paid for it the grace of God's going to come it's going to restore you Jesus will restore you. He's going to make you strong, firm, and steadfast again. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. How many want some times of refreshing to come? You've been in a dry place long enough. It's time to experience the refreshment of Jesus Christ. Why, why is God doing this? I'll tell you why. First of all, because He loves you. And number two, write this down. And God wants to use you to strengthen others. After Peter, listen, after Peter was told by Jesus, I'm praying for you. Your faith's not going to fail. I, this is what he says in verse 32. I'm praying that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back to me, Peter, you're going to strengthen your brothers. 
Listen to me. Look at me. Everybody up. Put your stuff away in a minute. We need you to get up. I need you to get up. It's time for you to get up. I know you've fallen. I know, I, know, I know. You don't even have to tell me everything. You don't need to tell me where you fell. I just know that you're, you've fallen and you feel like you're lost, you're empty, you're powerless. It's t- I need you to get up. Not just for you, but there are people waiting for you in this city that need you to get up. Peter said, Jesus said to Peter, listen, when you get back and you come back to me, I'm going to actually use you again. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to use you to strengthen other people. There are people in your job, people at your school, people in your neighborhood, people in your family that are desperately in need of the saving grace of Jesus. And how will they hear if the devil has silenced you because of a failure of your past? You need to get up. It's time to get up. We're shaking you as a church. Stop sleeping. Stop Stop. Stop, stop just going over it and mulling it over your past. Let Jesus come. Let Him restore you. Let Him forgive you. Let Him renew you once again. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the demonstration of this entire day of baptisms has been that if any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. That's what baptism represents. You go into the water, it represents a watery grave where your old life is buried with Christ. Then we raise you out of that water. All things have become new. Today, be made new in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, everybody. Come on, if you believe that, let's give the Lord a hand.